Good morning. Welcome to NTD. Good morning. Here are our top stories. Former President Trump is no longer a presidential can candidate in Colorado. We have reactions to the unprecedented move from the Colorado Supreme Court and analysis on what this could mean for the upcoming election. A poll breakdown. President Biden losing support among young voters, the ones who partly helped him win last time. And candidate Nikki Haley gaining on Trump in New Hampshire. Will she catch up? A former congressman weighs in. Senate leaders say there is progress, but no deal on Ukraine aid or the border. Find out what lawmakers are saying. A federal judge orders Congressman Scott Perry to turn over three quarters of his phone records in the J6 probe, a decision with implications for congressional immunity. Backlash is growing after Nippon Steel, Japan's largest steelmaker, bought out U.S. Steel for nearly $15 billion. We hear the details from the host of Entity Business. With five days before Christmas, we take a look at some products from the new Middletown department store to find the perfect gift to give. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Welcome everyone. Today is Wednesday, December 20th. And it really is an exciting time right now, Evelyn, with Christmas coming up and New Year's. Got to make those New Year's resolutions. Oh yeah. You have one? Uh, well, usually mine are always about like exercising more and <laughs> eating better and things like that. Yeah, for me too. Always the same. Unfortunately, sometimes a repeat. But anyway, yeah. we have some serious news to get to. This yeah, morning, we though. do. And it looks like there's going to be a lot of appeals coming up after, obviously, you know, Trump's campaign said that they're going to appeal that decision in Colorado to the Supreme Court. And then after that, liberal group in Michigan is appealing to the state Supreme Court after Trump was allowed on the ballot. Yeah, listen, certainly on uncharted territory over here, the Colorado Supreme Court has ruled that former President Trump is ineligible, ineligible to appear on the state's primary ballot. It's the first time in U.S. history a presidential candidate has been disqualified from running for the White House under a rarely used provision of the U.S. Constitution. The 43 ruling makes Colorado the first and only state to disqualify Trump from appearing on a state primary ballot. The decision revolved around an interpretation of the 14th Amendment, which bars officials from public office if they have engaged in an insurrection. The vaguely worded clause has only been applied twice since 1919. We have more on the reactions, but the ruling soon, but first. We're going to get some legal analysis of the ruling by the Colorado Supreme Court from Paul Kaminar, the lead counsel at the National Legal and Policy Center. Paul, good morning to you. Thank you for coming on. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Does this ruling apply to both the primary ballot and the general election ballot? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, the ruling bars Trump from bringing on the primary ballot in, in, in Colorado. And uh, the court did stay its decision until January 4th to give the Supreme Court time to review it. I mean, that's only in a couple weeks. So uh, I don't know how they're going to be able to get a full ruling by then. But otherwise, the uh, Secretary of Elections in Colorado says, if we don't get a different ruling by January 4th, his name is not going on the ballot. So there's a couple of contingencies in the works here. Trump's campaign says they plan to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. What do you expect to happen there? I expect it to be overturned. I mean, we have some 30 
states who are considering this very same provision of the Constitution, and I think about seven of them already uh, uh, upheld uh, that the Trump will be on the ballot. This is the first and only state so far uh, to strike it down, and it's also pending in some 20 other states. So the Supreme Court has to take it. Uh, you can't have different rulings about such an important topic, and I think the Supreme Court will uh, uphold uh, President Trump's right to be on the ballot and the right of the American people uh, to choose whether to have him as their next president or not. So, Paul, one of the dissenting justices took issue with the lawsuit being used to disqualify Trump and that it takes away his due process. What's your stance on this? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's ironic. The 14th Amendment of uh, Section 3 is the one that they're citing to keep him off the ballot, but that same amendment provides for due process. So where is the due process here? Uh, what the, uh, the uh, court did, they allowed the January 6th testimony to come in, and we all know that was a very uh, a partisan proceeding in itself. Uh, so there was a due process for him to uh, be there and, and to defend himself. But keep in mind that Jack Smith did not charge Trump with sedition or insurrection, which is what this court said he committed. So. Uh, and Jack Smith had all the findings of the January 6th committee, and he's the one that can determine whether or not uh, he's guilty of that. And they did file uh, criminal charges of that against some of the people who did break into the Capitol. Some interesting things to note here along those lines. These justices are all appointed by Democrats, and the ones who dissented just took issue with the procedure, like we mentioned, and they didn't really have any dispute with the claim that Trump engaged in an insurrection. Now, what if the Colorado Republican Party just switches to a caucus system? Would that make this all moot anyway in that state? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I, I don't think that will necessarily moot it. I think what's going to happen is that the, because that's going to take a lot more time uh, than, than having the Supreme Court review. But the Supreme Court's going to review this for sure. And I'm, I'm, I'm predicting that they will reverse this decision. But it's kind of ironic that uh, this law would not prevent the actual people who were convicted of insurrection who broke in the Capitol from running for president. Because the, the provision says they have to have sworn an oath of office uh, to protect the Constitution. So some of the Proud Boys who were convicted of this theoretically could be on the ballot to run for president, and they were convicted of insurrection and rebellion. Go right, figure. and the language of the Constitution cites the officers of the United States. So to your point there, what about Colorado voters? Yep. Can they just write Trump's name in? Uh, they could write the, his name in, but the, the opinion said that that won't do as well, that the, the Secretary of Elections of Colorado shall not accept even write-in ballots for uh, Trump. So this goes to show you how anti-democratic uh, this decision is, that it won't even allow the people to write in uh, the ballot that they would have, uh, have Donald Trump as their president. Really undemocratic uh, process here in the name of so-called uh, democracy. Well, thank you so much for your analysis on this. Paul Kaminar at the National Legal and Policy Center. Thank you. The Trump campaign stated it will swiftly appeal the decision to the U.S. Supreme Court. Outcry has also been swift. Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy says he's withdrawing from the state's ballot unless Trump is allowed on. 
The GOP firebrand is demanding his GOP opponents do the same. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the reactions to yesterday's unprecedented ruling. Thank you very much. Thank you. Former President Trump appeared to be in high spirits in Iowa Tuesday and didn't directly address the court's decision when he told voters the importance of their upcoming votes. We'll be back. We got to be sure that we put this thing away. The poll numbers are scary because we're leading by so much. The key is you have to get out and vote. The GOP frontrunner says the U.S. has never been in trouble like it is now and called for a landslide victory in the primary. If we win in a massive number, but it's a little bit less than that, they'll say, oh, he didn't meet expectations. It was terrible. Because they're fake news. We know that, you know. They're fake news. The Trump campaign called Tuesday's decision completely flawed and deeply undemocratic. It's stated an appeal will be filed to the U.S. Supreme Court. House Speaker Mike Johnson criticized the state court's decision, calling it reckless and a thinly veiled partisan attack on X. Johnson says he trusts the Supreme Court will let the American people decide the next president of the U.S. All seven justices on the Colorado Supreme Court were appointed by Democratic governors. Six have since won statewide retention elections to stay on the bench. Three of the justices dissented from the ruling. Justice Carlos Samur argued that a lawsuit is not the correct method for determining eligibility. He said it deprives Trump of due process because a jury has not convicted him of insurrection. GOP presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy is pledging to withdraw from the state's primary ballot unless Trump is on it. And I demand that Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie and Nikki Haley do the same thing, or else these Republicans are simply complicit in this unconstitutional attack. The Colorado Republican Party replied to Ramaswamy, telling him he won't need to withdraw because the party will withdraw together and convert to a caucus system if the decision stands. 2024 contender Chris Christie weighed in, saying Trump should not be prevented from being president by any court. I think he should be prevented from being president of the United States by the voters of this country. That's what I think. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis called for the U.S. Supreme Court to reverse the ruling. Democratic Representative Ro Khanna agreed with the ruling, calling it a bombshell decision. What the United States Supreme Court decides could apply not just to Colorado, but set a precedent for the entire country. Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele stated on X the U.S. has lost its ability to lecture others about democracy. The 4-3 ruling will be placed on hold until January 4th, pending the appeal. If the Supreme Court agrees to review it by then, Colorado's Secretary of State will be required to include Trump on the primary ballot. Otherwise, he will be removed. Colorado election officials say the matter has to be resolved by January 5th, the deadline for eligible candidates. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Republican Senator Tom Tillis says he plans to offer a bill that would prevent states from taking presidential candidates off a ballot, quote, on constitutional matters that should be decided by only the Supreme Court. No deal on the border and Ukraine aid before next year. Senate leaders say they have made progress but won't hold any votes until 2024. Entities Daniel Monahan has more on what lawmakers are saying about the state of negotiations. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says significant progress has been made, but they're still not there. According to McConnell, the stakes couldn't be higher. I think this is the most dangerous time since the fall of the Berlin Wall. McConnell cited the first land war in Europe since World War II, terrorist threats in Israel, and unknown enemies crossing the southern border. So this is not easy, but we're working hard uh, to get an outcome because the country needs it. 
Senator John Thune agrees the U.S. has important national security responsibilities that need to be dealt with around the world. But first and foremost, it starts with securing our own southern border and the national security crisis we face there. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says sending more aid to Ukraine is the key to defeating Russian President Vladimir Putin. History will look back if we don't support our ally in Ukraine. Schumer says Democrats agree the southern border must be fixed. The White House says aid to help Ukraine fight Russia will run out by the end of the year. The Biden administration's request for more than $60 billion in support has been bogged down in Congress. Republicans say it must be coupled with tougher immigration controls along the U.S.-Mexico border as illegal immigrants continue to pour into the country. Current projections estimate that over 3 million illegal immigrants will enter the country in 2024. In October, U.S. agents apprehended some 240,000 illegal immigrants, including nearly 1,600 criminals, about 90 people with arrest warrants, 50 gang members, and 12 people on the nation's terrorist watch list. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Up next, families tensely waiting for a new deal to release hostages from Gaza will have to wait a bit longer. We have more on the negotiations. A hospital director in the Gaza Strip says that nurses and doctors in his hospital are also members of the Hamas terrorist group, including himself. And the U.S. and other countries take action against Yemen's Houthis. The war is showing cracks in the Democratic Party. A new poll reveals a continuing trend that young voters are unhappy with the president's handling of the conflict. Will candidate Nikki Haley catch up to former President Trump in New Hampshire? And how are young voters viewing President Biden? We hear analysis from a former colonel and congressman coming up. Good to have you back. No looming deal on releasing hostages in Gaza. Israel says there are still just negotiations for now and that Hamas wants more heavy-duty prisoners than before. In the last deal, Israel released Palestinian women and teenage prisoners from Israeli jails in exchange for hostages. Israeli President Isaac Herzog said Tuesday that Israel would agree to a second humanitarian pause in fighting in exchange for the return of hostages. Axios reported that Israel would agree to a one-week pause if Hamas would free about 40 hostages. The terror group is still keeping about 130 prisoners. We reached out for a confirmation from the Israeli government but did not hear back before broadcast. In a startling revelation, a hospital director in, in the Gaza Strip says nurses and doctors are also members of the Hamas terrorist group. His confession comes as the U.S. is teaming up with other nations to stop Yemen's Houthis in the Red Sea. NTD's Jason Perry has the war update. Israel Defense Forces continue to keep the pressure on Hamas terrorists in the Gaza Strip. During one of the IDF's recent missions, they found this explosive device, which Israeli troops said was facing this door and in range of a clinic. On Tuesday, Israeli forces reported that since the beginning of the war, they have now found approximately 1,500 tunnel entrances belonging to Hamas. 
The IDF says most of the tunnels they found have been located under schools, hospitals and mosques, and most recently under United Nations facilities. However, the IDF is not only finding tunnels and weapons, but also suspected terrorists. This man was recently released by Israeli forces, and he explained the moment he was detained. They were using loudspeakers asking the wounded and the displaced in El Mamadani Hospital to evacuate. My disabled brother was also taken away, and I do not know what happened to him. Meanwhile, other Palestinian detainees are providing valuable information to the IDF, including this hospital director. He said he joined the Hamas terrorist group in 2010, and he holds the rank of brigadier general. He explained that the medical professionals who worked in the hospital, including nurses and doctors, were also members of the Hamas terrorist group, and he gave further details. There's a place for the interrogators, a place for internal security, a place for special security, and they all had private lines, private telephone lines in those places. He added that they used ambulances for their terrorist operations. The IDF remains determined to catch all of those responsible for the terrorist attacks on October 7th, in which 1,200 innocent civilians in Israel were killed. This man visited the site of the music festival where Hamas terrorists murdered hundreds of attendees. He said he wanted to see the spot where his son was killed. No Hamas. That's what I'm hoping. That the people that live here can live uh, quietly and uh, don't be always uh, under attack of uh, bombing. Jason Perry, NTD News. The Israel-Hamas war has revealed cracks within the Democratic Party, poll after poll showing that young voters are dissatisfied with President Biden's handling of the war. Now a New York Times poll says that voters trust former President Trump more than Biden on the issue. Here's more. 1,000 voters nationwide were asked about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Just one-third of them said they approve of President Biden's approach, and 46% said they think former President Trump would do a better job. Nearly three-quarters of voters between the ages of 18 and 29 disapprove of Biden's approach to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. This according to a New York Times-Siena College poll. Illustrating the point, today in the U.S. Capitol, a protest broke out. A large group of protesters took advantage of a Capitol tour to unravel banners and started chanting, ceasefire now. Capitol Police used zip ties to arrest around 60 people. Progressive Democrats have long criticized Israel and Biden's support for the Jewish state. We cannot unwind ourselves from the destiny of all other workers in the world. And that means standing for peace and standing for a ceasefire in Gaza now. Thousands of civilians um, being killed that uh, two wrongs certainly don't make it right. There has to be a ceasefire. In recent weeks, the Biden administration expressing increased concern about civilian death. Protecting Palestinian civilians in Gaza is both a moral duty and a strategic imperative. And now let's break down some presidential poll numbers for the incumbent and GOP candidates with retired Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, who's also a former member of Congress. Lieutenant Colonel West, thank you for your time today. Why do you think we're seeing a drop Thanks. in support for President Biden among young voters, given that we see this NBC poll that shows that this group was his path to victory before? 
Well, it's good to be with you. Thank you. And Merry Christmas. I think that when you look at that previous clip about what is happening with the Israeli Hamas conflict, they see uh, President Biden is not standing up and carrying out their progressive uh, wants and desires and their agenda. And one of these things about a ceasefire in Gaza is absolutely delusional. When you look at this, young people have fallen to this uh, propaganda that is out there that's being pushed by anti-Semitic individuals. You look at what's going on in our college and university campuses. And then, of course, they still uh, believe that there should be more of a leftward push, and they don't think that Biden has done enough in that direction. So they have uh, lost touch as far as our economic security, our energy security, border security. They still want to push this completely green agenda, which would destroy this uh, country economically. And of course, they don't understand what is happening with the law enforcement and the lack thereof. They're still talking about uh, defunding the police and things of this nature. So I think that the young people want to see even more of a leftward lurch by this administration. And already we can see that uh, it's tearing that party, the Democrat Party apart, but it's also undermining our country. So Colonel West, another NBC poll shows that about 60% of young voters are against supporting Israel more with funding and military assets. Mm -hmm. How would Trump's approach differ from Biden's here? Well, just go back and look at what happened during the Trump administration. We saw Donald Trump say that he was going to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He did. There was no violence whatsoever. Uh, he had brought Hamas and Hezbollah and all of these Iranian proxies to the point of having to use lemonade stands and uh, bake sales to try to raise money because we have put many sanctions on Iran and they did, were not flush with oil revenue. So I think that you look at the Biden administration that has tried to go back into the Iranian nuclear agreement. Uh, they have lifted or eased back on sanctions. So now uh, Iran is flush with cash, and that's why they can support Hamas and Hezbollah. So I think the most important thing is, is a change in policy and a policy that goes back to what Ronald Reagan talked about, peace through strength. So let's look at the GOP nominating contest. Candidate Nikki Haley is about 15 points behind Trump in New Hampshire, and that's the smallest gap among the early voting states of New Hampshire and Iowa. Does she have any way of catching up there? I think it's going to be really hard. Anytime you see those double-digit uh, deficits, it's going to be tough. And I think it's predicated upon what happens there in Iowa. If Donald Trump uh, has a smashing performance in Iowa, it's going to make it even more difficult for her in New Hampshire. But, of course, having the endorsement of New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, uh, I think that that will try to bolster her a little bit. But I don't see how she can make that, uh, that deficit up right now. And when you look at what they did at the Colorado Supreme Court yesterday with uh, President Trump uh, trying to deny him being on the primary ballot, that just uh, boosts President Trump even more. Yeah, and there's that pro-Trump super PAC that's readying that attack ad on Nikki Haley. So we'll see how that goes. Do you think there's any other ways for GOP candidates to supercharge their campaigns to close in on Trump as these nominating contests come near in a couple weeks? I think it's going to be very tough. I mean, when you look at these national polls that put him at, you know, 55 up to 60, 61 percent, uh, and everyone else is down, you know, less than 20 percent, uh, that's a hard hill to climb. But it's politics. And, you know, you, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, we still have a ways to go even to get to Iowa. But by next March, uh, first Tuesday in March, Super Tuesday, uh, this thing could be decided as far as the GOP nomination. We're retired Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure. And again, Merry Christmas to you and everyone. You too. And coming up, what must the U.S. do to keep the Red Sea open to shipping? A former intelligence director tells us it involves Egypt and Saudi Arabia. 
Find out how Washington can appeal to their interests to county threats from Houthi terrorists. A federal judge orders Congressman Scott Perry to turn over close to 1,700 cell phone records in the J6 probe, denying his appeal for congressional immunity. I'm Iris Tao in New Delhi, India, and we are NTD. Thank you for staying with us. The White House detailed its plan for protecting ships coming under attack in the Red Sea from Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. The attacks have caused many shipping companies to order their ships not to enter the region until the security situation can be addressed. But bottom line is, these attacks have to stop. They need to stop. They're unacceptable. Uh, the United States, our allies and our partners, will do what we have to do to counter these threats and to protect these ships. Kirby said at least nine countries would assist in countering Houthi aggression. Kirby's at the Red Sea is a conduit for 10 to 15 percent of the world's trade. Forty-four countries have signed a statement condemning the threats and attacks by the Houthis. The Houthi terrorists say they will continue attacking ships in the Red Sea as Israel presses on in its war against Hamas. And we're going to hear a list of steps the U.S. may need to take to ensure safe passage within these waters from Captain James Fennell, the former Director of Intelligence for the U.S. Pacific Fleet. I think right now we're in a position where we've just announced this Operation Prosperity Guardian, where the plan is, as you mentioned, is defensive to, to essentially escort uh, commercial vessels and tankers through the Red Sea and Suez. Uh, but the, the attacks have continued, and these major companies, these shipping companies, like Maersk, have, uh, which controls about 15% of the world's global supply, uh, transportation supply, they've already diverted their ships around. And so it's already having an impact, and they're not accepting a defensive posture. So we need to think about the old saying, which is, it's, easy, it's, it's harder to shoot down a bunch of arrows than it is to find the archer that has the arrows and take out the archer. And right, and this is really Captain Fennell, this is very serious, considering that benchmark crude is now up to $78 a barrel. That's up 2% here. It's major impact. Do you think that there is any diplomatic means of bringing it about a, a solution here, or does it have to come down to actual physical attacks? Well, I think that uh, the Secretary of Defense and I think the Secretary of State and the you know, I know they've been recently in the region, the Secretary of Defense has been in the region visiting Israel. I think they should be visiting Egypt and, and Saudi Arabia and, and go to Riyadh. And they need to tell the Egyptians that they have to provide increased uh, defense, not just escorting ships with U.S. and the coalition partners, but the Egyptians have to step up. In 2022 and 2023, they made almost $10 billion from the fees that they charge for shipping. Uh, so they have a staked interest in this, and they should be producing more defensive uh, and security patrols. And the U.S. has even reached out to other international partners, such as Australia, in hopes of maybe sending a frigate or some other type of vessel to the region to increase these patrols. Do you think that the United States would need to actually act and take offensive posture here, and what would that look like? Well, it's, it's, it's very nice to have our allies step up and provide the escorts. That's good. That's a good a signal of, about our alliance structure. But we're going to probably have to take some action because the real root of the problem is Iran. Iran's the one that has been funding Hezbollah, Hamas, and now the Houthis all together. And they're creating this havoc. And so we need to be able to go after the people that are launching missile attacks, 
rocket attacks, drone attacks against commercial vessels that are not only increasing the price of crude oil today, but what will this mean for uh, all of the world in terms of inflation in the next six months to 12 months? Because we've already been living with the, the, the effects of raised oil prices. Captain James Fennell, former director of intelligence of the U.S. Pacific Fleet, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. A federal judge yesterday ordered Congressman Scott Perry to turn over close to 1,700 cell phone records to the DOJ for their J6 investigation. The judge ruled that 75% of Perry's communications were not protected by the speech or debate clause of the Constitution. That's the clause that allows members of Congress immunity from criminal investigation. The decision comes after a month-long battle over what cell phone messages Perry's investigators could have access to. The judge is allowing the protection of around 400 records directly related to votes Perry would take, including certifying the 2020 election result. Perry's team previously delayed special counsel Jack Smith's office from any of the messages with an appeal. That was after a court-approved seizure of his phone last year. Perry has not been charged with any crime. He's expected to renew his appeal. Coming up, backlash is growing for the recent sale of U.S. steel to Japan's Nippon Steel. We sit down to discuss the details with the host of NTD Business. And Rite Aid has been banned from using facial recognition. Find out more about the lawsuit brought by the Federal Trade Commission in just a moment. Good morning again and welcome back. We have Don Ma here, our host, Entity Business host, to discuss the Japanese acquisition of U.S. steel. Backlash is growing for the sale of the American steel producer to Japanese maker Nippon Steel. So Don, how strong is this backlash? Well, Kevin, it seems like uh, we're seeing bipartisan opposition to this deal. Um, we're seeing uh, uh, calls to officials to block Nippon Steel's takeover of U.S. steel. And uh, specifically, this is uh, J.D. Vance, uh, Josh Hawley, and, uh, and uh, uh, Marco Rubio. They're writing a letter to uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to ask her to not let the deal go through. Uh, this is because Yellen actually chairs the Committee on uh, Foreign Investment in the United States, and the, the committee has the power to review uh, foreign, foreign investment uh, in America. And, and uh, the, the senators are asking, um, the committee to launch a review of this deal. Um, so that's on the Republican side. And on the Democratic side, uh, Senator Sherrod uh, Brown also issued a statement opposing this deal. Uh, we have uh, Joe Manchin attacking the deal, Senator John Fetterman, and as well, we have the United Steel Workers Union also going on record to oppose this deal. You know, so, so we're seeing actually quite a bit of opposition here. But you know, Kevin, don't be surprised if the deal actually goes through, though, in the end, because despite the opposition, uh, some analysts are saying that it's unlikely that the Committee uh, on uh, Foreign Affairs, will, uh, Foreign Investment, will actually uh, block the deal uh, because 
Uh, Japan is actually a close U.S. ally, so that is a consideration there as well. And on top of that, uh, no matter the recommendation of the committee, in the end, it's actually up to the president uh, to decide if he wants to reject the deal. And uh, it's unlikely that he will. Uh, because, you know, with Japan being a close ally to the United States, we have to think about the implications of rejecting a, a deal like this would have. So uh, some considerations there. Yeah, some serious, significant bipartisan opposition there. So tell me a little more about where all this is coming from. What's actually behind the backlash? Sure. So uh, for Vance, Holly, and Rubio, they're arguing that it might have dire implications uh, for the industrial base of the United States. Uh, so they're saying that the transaction uh, was not entered uh, into with uh, national security in mind, and that uh, because domestic steel production is vital to U.S. national security, uh, they're saying that Nippon Steel's uh, allegiances clearly lie with the foreign state. Uh, it is a Japanese company, um, and they're cautioning uh, that the company does not share the U.S. deal's storied connection to the United States, and its financial interests are tied to those with Japan. And um, so what the United Steel Workers Union are saying as well is that uh, the president calls the deal bad for Americans and bad for steel workers. Um, and uh, what uh, Senator Brown said uh, in a statement, let me just read that to you. Uh, she says, uh, a foreign company should not be able to swoop in and ignore the voices of union workers and buy a major American steel manufacturer behind closed doors. So uh, those are some reasons as well, but there's more. Joe Manchin, same camp too, uh, that this is a blow to the American steel industry and a direct threat to national security. And if you ask me, uh, I can see where the lawmakers are coming from because when it comes to economic, economic power, uh, manufacturing is a huge factor. So with uh, U.S. Steel being a major manufacturer and being taken over by Japan, I can see where the, the worries come from. Right, yeah, there's definitely a lot to sort out through. And then, of course, Japan being an ally takes a little bit of that concern away from this. And, you know, Nippon Steel actually was growing a lot in Japan's boom in the 70s, but then the 80s, kind of the country slowed down in the 90s then. And then China was actually a big producer, so it kind of took Nippon Steel out of the world stage, but then it eventually became the world's biggest. So what else do you have for us, Don? Right. Uh, in other news, Rite Aid has been prohibited from using facial recognition for surveillance for five years. This is to settle Federal Trade Commission charges that the pharmacy chain harmed consumers. And the FTC says that Rite Aid used facial recognition from 2012 to 2020 to identify shoplifters. However, it said the company falsely flagged some shoppers as matching someone identified as a shoplifter. So some, some issues there a little bit. Yeah, always a little bit concerning with the facial recognition there. But thank you so much for this overview. Don Ma, host of NTD Business. Thank you. And stay with us. If you're still looking for a last-minute Christmas gift, we showcase a variety of products from the new Middletown department store in New York to help you choose the perfect gift.
I'm Melina Weiskopf on Capitol Hill, and we are NTD. We have a special segment for you as Christmas time nears. Let's learn what makes a quality product and where you can find it and get some tips on how to choose the perfect gift for your friends and family. Joining me now for some insight into this is Sammy Song, the Director of Marketing at the new Middletown Department Store. Sammy, thanks for making it down here. That's a little ways from Middletown. Oh, Kevin, thank you for having me. Yes, and so can you give us some strategies on the best tips to find these deals? Sure. So personally for myself, I would follow the brands that I like. I would go on their website and subscribe to their newsletter and follow their social media so can, I can stay up to date on their latest offers and deals. A second tip I would like to share with everyone is sometimes when I go online shopping, I would actually leave the products in my cart for a one to two days before checkout because usually I would get actually a further discount from the company uh, and they know that I'm interested. And the third tip actually is um, to plan ahead the shopping. So either, either before the holiday or after the holiday, where a lot of stores, they would actually bring the prices back to normal. So those are the three tips I would like to share with you. That takes a lot of patience. How do you muster that and get yourself in that mode where you can just wait and just hold on and because you know you want to buy it right now yeah i think for women shoppers we we know all the tips it's worth waiting and planning it strategically yeah and i know we have a lot of products here i want to get to all of them first what makes a quality product i believe a quality product always has a meaning behind it a lot of heart has to be put from the beginning of the product uh, such as when a designer has an idea in her mind to the process of making it, to finally delivering the product uh, to the new owner. I think there are so many steps involved in this process, and every step is just as important as the next one. Yeah, because there's so much more beyond just the actual material product that is produced in the end. It could be whether there were ethical or unethical practices involved in the making of it, right? That's right. Uh, with the new Middletown department store, actually we would locally choose products, handpick products, and from the locally sourced farms to an international market from Europe, Asia, uh, United States. So even our whole team, even our CEO, would go and carefully choose the products that we think have the characteristic of that country and also it's an ethical made. Yeah, those are great links that you all go to to make sure that people have a good feeling about what they're actually buying. Sammy, we have so many products here. I want you to start telling us about these. This is a leather collection. Our premium leather collection actually used the leather from Spain and Italy. And these are actually for women and men that appreciate quality and craftsmanship. So we can start with this uh, a passage in time men's briefcase. This design is very unique because it draws the inspiration from the Han Dynasty fashion where the women and men would wear color that is left over right, representing heaven over earth. And next to it, we also have the Tang Dynasty Grace leather collection. This is also one of our most popular uh, leather collection. So this is a crossbody. It's very versatile. You can wear it as a carry bag or it comes with a, a detachable strap, so you can also wear it as a crossbody. 
They just look so functional and durable, along with being a status symbol with all the quality products that are manufactured with these good materials here. Yes, both our collection are actually handcrafted in Spain. Wow. The Tang Dynasty Grace uh, leather collection draws the design from uh, the Tang Dynasty dance you see in Shenyun. You know, this uh, Tang Dynasty Grace silk scarf, it's very beautiful. It's inspired from that uh, Tang Dynasty fashion. We believe that a lot of the attire are inspired by the attire worn in the heavens. So for the Tang maidens, they would wear very long flowing sleeves with a very high uh, neckline above the chest. So this scarf actually is an exact replica of the dress wear by the Shenyun dancers during their uh, performance. Coming back to this leather bag, I want to show you something that's very unique. That is a nice color blue. We have in five different colors. So you see here, I'm transforming this bag into a different look. So these are actually the designer, you know, took the element from the costume from the Shane dance and put it into the design. So there's, this represents the wide sleeves worn by the heavenly maidens. And if I put this in, you can wear a different way. Yes. Wow, that is really exciting. And there's just so much culture that goes into all these. Yes, a lot of our customers would share when they know that, oh, that flower represents this or that has a meaning. They were like, oh, we, we have to get this. Nowhere, nowhere else have that meaning and beautiful culture which we took from Shenyun and 5,000 years of traditional culture. Incredible, okay, Sammy, so show us around. We also have products for the kids and the whole family. Because you know, holidays is the time you gather with your family. And a lot of uh, the grandparents, they told us they would buy this for their grandkids. Wow. And they actually spend the time, instead of you know, staying on the tablets or in front of computer, they would sit in front of the Christmas tree and do the pieces together. And also learn the history while doing this puzzle, 3D puzzle set. Yeah, it's like education, learning, and having fun. I used to build Legos, now this is like a really designer set. Yeah, so this is actually from the Tang Dynasty uh, um, Grand Palace. It's also uh, one of the unique feature from the Tang Dynasty architecture, because they use everything uh, uh, from wood. It's a wooden architect, and they don't use any needles. They don't use nails, yeah. No, that's they don't really, use nails, that's right. That is so fascinating how they're able to get it. And it's so robust. I mean, it can withstand all of the elements. Yeah, I think back in the day, people were so smart. Yes, you can learn a lot from them too. And so what else do we have? Over here is the uh, Majestic Tang Fine Jewelry. So this jewelry set actually is also inspired by the peony flower. The peony flower is the most cherished flower from the Tang Dynasty. It represents dignity and righteousness. So we apply the flower into the design. Um, this whole set, we have a necklace, we have earrings, and we also have a, a bracelet. So people can choose the different color stone, we think they're very festive for the holidays. So this is one of our special features for the holiday gift sets. Now I see there are some, looks like some fragrances also. That's right. So here we have uh, the neck uh, wrap and the uh, eye pillow. So this is brand is organically made and um, it's handcrafted. 
This helps relieve the neck pain, shoulder pain, back pain, because nowadays people spend a long time in front of the computer, as I just said, so these actually are very easy to apply. You can use it cold or warm, and this has been one of our top sellers. It could be for everyone in the family. Wow, yeah, give me some good ideas for some gifts here. <laughs> sure. That's excellent, and what else do we have? So this one actually, um, we also recently got into the store and has been very well received. You know, there was um, scientific research from a Japanese scientist. His research shows that water actually has a life. So if you give positive, you know, messages, words, thoughts to the water, it will show beautiful patterns. And if you the water receives negative, you know, thoughts, uh, they will show ugly, you know, uh, formations. So similar to this concept, it is believed that crystals also have a positive effect on people. So this water bottle set, they combine the, the crystals with the water bottle. So a lot of people have shared with us that the water actually tastes better uh, after coming out from this water bottle set. That is so fascinating, Sammy. And I do remember coming across some studies that showed how when they actually played some Mozart music to water and then froze it, it made these beautiful ice crystals. That's right. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Yes. Anything else for us? The last one here, since there will be a lot of parties coming up, Christmas parties, New Year parties, so we have a section of non-alcoholic drinks, which are surprisingly one of the best sellers on our second floor at New Middletown. So these non-alcoholic drinks are, some of them are from uh, Germany, and these ones are from New York, uh, right here in New York. I think a lot of people are paying more attention to their keeping healthy and be aware of their state. Even they still want to keep the festive spirit, but they also want to stay you know, in the sh shape and stay well. So this actually a uh, whole collection, the non-alcoholic drinks have been very well received. That is so, really excellent. Yeah, this yeah. could be for a great gift on the New Year gift. Good idea. And so where can everyone find more information about all this? Uh, you can come to our store. New Middletown Department Store is located in Middletown downtown, and we open seven days a week. I have to say you have to come and shop here in person to experience that. Shopping locally and meeting your neighbor and experience yourself what's special about it yeah and i saw some comments on the website saying that there was some good music when people walked in definitely people told us they feel the positive energy and the whole environment brings them you know uh, warmth and feel welcome and feel like home yeah sammy song thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me kevin yeah and we're going to put those links on our website so go to ntd.com for more information we hope you enjoyed all these great products and tips and happy gift hunting to you and Merry Christmas. Stay with us on NTD Good Morning for some more coverage coming up. Hi everybody, I'm Kelly Wright, host of America's Hope right here on NTD. Guess what, we've got a special celebration because it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So coming up on NTD, we're going to be celebrating a joyful Christmas. And you're all invited to watch as we celebrate Christmas in music and song from around the world. Join us on NTD.
Good morning. Welcome to NTD. Good morning. Here are our top stories. Former President Trump taken off the Colorado primary ballot. We have more on the move and reactions to the unprecedented decision now heading to the Supreme Court. Ukraine will have to wait on any hope for aid as Senate leaders signal no deals before 2024. We have more on what's holding things up. A new report found China made efforts to interfere with U.S. elections in 2022. We have some details on what it means heading into the 2024 election season. The Northeast is still reeling from the after effects of a major storm. More on the massive cleanup efforts now underway. NASA transmits a video through the cosmos for the very first time of a cat. Find out more about a cat named Taters. Lapland, the home of snow, reindeer, and Santa Claus himself. See why this area in Finland is expecting record numbers of tourists this Christmas season. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Welcome. Today's Wednesday, December 20th. Today's top news, the Colorado Supreme Court has ruled that former President Trump is ineleg ineligible to appear on the state's primary ballot. It's the first time in U.S. history a presidential candidate has been disqualified from running for the White House under a rarely used provision of the U.S. Constitution. The 4-3 ruling makes Colorado the first and only state to disqualify Trump from appearing on a state primary ballot. The decision revolved around an interpretation of the 14th Amendment, which bars officials from public office if they engaged in an insurrection. The vaguely worded clause has only been applied twice since 1919. The Trump campaign stated it will swiftly appeal the decision to the U.S. Supreme Court. Outcry has also been swift. Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy says he's withdrawing from the state's ballot unless Trump is allowed on. The GOP firebrand is demanding his GOP opponents do the same. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the reactions to yesterday's unprecedented ruling. Thank you very much. Thank you. Former President Trump appeared to be in high spirits in Iowa Tuesday and didn't directly address the court's decision when he told voters the importance of their upcoming votes. We'll be back. We got to be sure that we put this thing away. The poll numbers are scary because we're leading by so much. The key is you have to get out and vote. The GOP frontrunner says the U.S. has never been in trouble like it is now and called for a landslide victory in the primary. If we win in a massive number, but it's a little bit less than that, they'll say, oh, he didn't meet expectations. It was terrible. Because they're fake news. We know that. You know, They're fake news. The Trump campaign called Tuesday's decision completely flawed and deeply undemocratic. It stated an appeal will be filed to the U.S. Supreme Court. House Speaker Mike Johnson criticized the state court's decision, calling it reckless and a thinly veiled partisan attack on X. Johnson says he trusts the Supreme Court will let the American people decide the next president of the U.S. All seven justices on the Colorado Supreme Court were appointed by Democratic governors. Six have since won statewide retention elections to stay on the bench. Three of the justices dissented from the ruling. Justice Carlos Samur argued that a lawsuit is not the correct method for determining eligibility. He said it deprives Trump of due process because a jury has not convicted him of insurrection. 
GOP presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy is pledging to withdraw from the state's primary ballot unless Trump is on it. And I demand that Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie and Nikki Haley do the same thing, or else these Republicans are simply complicit in this unconstitutional attack. The Colorado Republican Party replied to Ramaswamy, telling him he won't need to withdraw, because the party will withdraw together and convert to a caucus system if the decision stands. 2024 contender Chris Christie weighed in, saying Trump should not be prevented from being president by any court. I think he should be prevented from being president of the United States by the voters of this country. That's what I think. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis called for the U.S. Supreme Court to reverse the ruling. Democratic Representative Ro Khanna agreed with the ruling, calling it a bombshell decision. What the United States Supreme Court decides could apply not just to Colorado, but set a precedent for the entire country. Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele stated on X the U.S. has lost its ability to lecture others about democracy. The 4-3 ruling will be placed on hold until January 4th, pending the appeal. If the Supreme Court agrees to review it by then, Colorado's Secretary of State will be required to include Trump on the primary ballot. Otherwise, he will be removed. Colorado election officials say the matter has to be resolved by January 5th, the deadline for eligible candidates. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Republican Senator Tom Tillis says he plans to offer a bill that would prevent states from taking presidential candidates off a ballot, quote, on constitutional matters that should be decided by only the Supreme Court. And earlier I spoke with Paul Kaminar, the lead counsel at the National Legal and Policy Center, about the ruling by the Colorado Supreme Court. I asked if this applies to both the primary and general election ballot. The ruling bars Trump from bringing on the primary ballot in, in Colorado. And uh, the court did stay its decision until January 4th to give the Supreme Court time to review it. I mean, that's only in a couple weeks. So uh, I don't know how they're going to be able to get a full ruling by then. But otherwise, the uh, Secretary of Elections in Colorado says, if we don't get a different ruling by January 4th, his name is not going on the ballot. So there's a couple of contingencies in the works here. Trump's campaign says they plan to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. What do you expect to happen there? I expect it to be overturned. I mean, we have some 30 states who are considering this very same provision of the Constitution. And I think about seven of them already uh, uh, upheld uh, that the Trump will be on the ballot. This is the first and only state so far uh, to strike it down. And it's also pending in some 20 other states. So the Supreme Court has to take it. Uh, you can't have different rulings about such an important topic. And I think the Supreme Court will uh, uphold uh, President Trump's right to be on the ballot and the right of the American people uh, to choose whether to have him as their next president or not. What about Colorado voters? Yep. Can they just write Trump's name in? Uh, they could write the, his name in, but the, the opinion said that that won't do as well, that the, the Secretary of Elections of Colorado shall not accept even write-in ballots for Trump. So this goes to show you how anti-democratic uh, this decision is, that it won't even allow the people to write in uh, the ballot that they want to uh, have Donald Trump as their president. Really undemocratic uh, process here in the name of so-called uh, democracy. Well, thank you so much for your analysis on this. Paul Kaminar at the National Legal and Policy Center. Thank you. 
Trump's visit to Iowa yesterday was his fourth in just under a month. His campaign is testing a new ground game strategy in the Hawkeye State. It's focused on finding and creating first-time caucus goers. Trump's campaign has been recruiting and training close to 2,000 volunteer caucus captains across the state. Several are assigned to each of the largest voting locations. Each captain agrees to gain commitments from at least 10 first-time voters from a list of 25 neighborhood prospects. Captains receive a white hat with gold stitching, a personalized letter from Trump, and booklets outlining what the former president considers prized accomplishments. Another objective of the ground strategy is fighting any sense of complacency among voters. The Iowa caucuses are now less than a month away. Despite having a 30-point advantage in most polls, the GOP frontrunner is starting to ask voters to ignore his wide lead. Trump told supporters in Nevada Sunday to, quote, pretend we're losing by three. Here's Trump in Iowa yesterday. If you don't get out and vote, we can put this to bed after Iowa, if you want to know the truth. We can put it to bed for them, too. They can go home and forget it. But you have to go out. Don't sit home and say, you know, I think we'll take it easy, darling. It's a wonderful day, beautiful. Let's just take it easy, watch television, and watch the results now, because crazy things can happen. You got to get out. This is really important. Our country's at stake. And a new report from the U.S. intelligence community found China, Russia, Iran, and Cuba all made increased efforts to meddle in last year's midterm elections. The declassification report says the Chinese regime tried to undermine certain candidates and promote others deemed pro-China. The assessment by the National Intelligence Council says members of both parties were targeted and that senior Chinese Communist Party leaders issued broad directives to intensify efforts to influence U.S. policies and public opinion in their favor. The report says some influence operations are designed to portray the U.S. democratic model as chaotic and ineffective. It says the CCP sought to highlight division on issues like abortion and gun control. The intelligence assessment says the meddling efforts in the midterms appeared to grow compared to 2018. What could this say about the risks during next year's presidential election? To find out more, we bring in Adam Savitt, the director for the China Policy Initiative at America First Policy Institute. Good morning, Adam. Good to have you this, this early in the morning. So first, um, lots of uh, the assessment was actually redacted. So first, I want to hear from you. What do you know about the methods of interference that, that we're, we've been seeing from China? Well, the methods, as you uh, mentioned, they're not necessarily top down from the highest levels uh, in Beijing, but they sort of empower these free agents uh, on existing social media platforms. And the thing is, we have a free society, so it's very difficult to identify and interdict a lot of these influencers. Now, on a platform like X or Twitter, uh, the official Chinese government accounts, let's say the Global Times is one of their major English outlets, that'll be labeled a government account. And also I've seen uh, in this recent Gaza conflict, a lot of their um, uh, pro-Hamas uh, influencers in China are identified by X as government or quasi-government actors. But the truth is, it's very difficult to actually identify who those influencers are. And as you mentioned, uh, these influencers are expert at playing on existing tensions within the United States, uh, such as racial tensions, abortion, gun rights, issues that are already very controversial. And 
what this does is it allows them to sort of run under the radar because this controversial discourse is already already happening. They just sort of piggyback on top of it and then weaponize that, as you said, to uh, target uh, candidates from either party, but that are perceived to be against the interests of the CCP regime. So, for example, uh, one that they hounded in New York is someone who they perceive to have supported the 1989 Tiananmen Square protest. So we're talking uh, a very long memory and uh, long grudges that they are pursuing. So I know that most of it happens on social media. Of course, that's very effective in shaping public opinion, I guess. But does it go beyond that? It does. Uh, you know, one term that's used is elite capture, and that applies to uh, elected officials as well. Perhaps one of the most infamous examples uh, was Eric Swalwell. Uh, now they, uh, of course, representative from uh, California. But what they try to do is catch these uh, um, these officials when they're actually a little bit lower in the ranks and they sort of uh, spread out their influence and send these agents. So, you know, he was approached, I believe he was on a local council or a, a city government. And then uh, by by a honeypot, we say, you know, a female operative, uh, Fang Fang. And by the time he got to an influential position, uh, like uh, in the U.S. Congress, they already sort of have their uh, claws into him. And uh, this is being proliferated in places you wouldn't think in the Midwest, in state governments. I believe in Nebraska was one of them. They'll go after state legislators. They'll try to influence governors. They'll sort of put their fingers in everything so that depending on when these individuals rise to higher ranks, they already have these subtle or not so subtle methods of influence. Uh, right. And that's uh, in place. Highly concerning also with the presidential election coming up. So with what we what, what was found during the midterm elections, how much of an indication do you think does that give about what might happen during the 2024 presidential election? I mean, very strong indications. There's no doubt that they will be interfering. As the, as the report notes, they treat the midterm versus presidential elections differently. And that's because the profile is different. Of course, Americans know the midterms are a little bit less emphasized. So uh, that gives them a sort of uh, more of an opening and perhaps less scrutiny. And the report did also note that the perception, and I agree with the perception, is that under the Biden administration, they have less uh, likelihood of blowback than they did under the Trump administration. Now, the Biden administration has been uh, uh, treated the threat well on many economic fronts. Uh, they recently had an ec ec executive order that prevented outbound investment into uh, sensitive uh, uh, sectors that would help the Chinese economy. But in other areas, such as interdicting this sort of interference, I believe the perception is correct that this time around there will be less, uh, less strong of a response on the U.S. end. What do you think, what more needs to be done to, so that the U.S. is adequately prepared um, for this case? I, I think the best thing to do, you know, it's hard to interdict these very individual uh, actors, uh, influences on their side. What we need to do is strengthen our civil society. And we've gone a long way towards that. Uh, I think the best thing we can point to in our political system right now is the House Select Committee on China, of course, led by uh, um, uh, Congressman Gallagher and on the Democratic side, Congressman uh, Krishnamurthy. And they've had, I think, coming up on 10 different hearings exposing uh, influence, but you know, in some cases, uh, uh, acquiring infrastructure and land on the CCP's part, infiltrating the uh, educational institutions and uh, research institutions. Um, uh, they exposed a overseas CCP police station in New York mm -hmm. and other areas where they are intimidating uh, CCP citizens. So 
this platform has given us a great deal more of uh, visibility into these problems and a way to uh, get people to act on them. Right. And hopefully in the new year, uh, although that committee cannot introduce legislation, their information and their influence will influence new uh, legislation that actually can have some teeth and take effect for the Got next it. election. Well, thank you so much for these insights. Great insights. Adam Savitt, I appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Stay with us. A major storm hammered the Northeast and left behind many problems. See some of the challenges people face to mop up the mess. A winter wonderland near the Arctic Circle in Finland. See why tourists are flocking to Lapland in record numbers after the break. Good to have you back. There's no deal on the border and Ukraine aid before next year. Senate leaders say they have made progress but won't hold any votes until 2024. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on what lawmakers are saying about the state of negotiations. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says significant progress has been made, but they're still not there. According to McConnell, the stakes couldn't be higher. So this is not easy. But we're working hard uh, to get an outcome because the country needs it. Senator John Thune agrees the U.S. has important national security responsibilities that need to be dealt with around the world. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says sending more aid to Ukraine is the key to defeating Russian President Vladimir Putin. History will look back if we don't support our ally in Ukraine. The Biden administration's request for more than $60 billion in support has been bogged down in Congress. Republicans say it must be coupled with tougher immigration controls along the U.S.-Mexico border as illegal immigrants continue to pour into the country. Current projections estimate that over 3 million illegal immigrants will enter the country in 2024. In October, U.S. agents apprehended some 240,000 illegal immigrants, including nearly 1,600 criminals, about 90 people with arrest warrants, 50 gang members, and 12 people on the nation's terrorist watch list. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The storms that wreaked havoc across the Northeast have now passed. Now comes the massive challenge of cleaning up the mess left behind. Here's more on the story. People across the Northeast are mopping up after a major storm dumped torrential rains and brought damaging winds from Pennsylvania to Maine. Some rivers in the region flooded. At least five people were killed. Utility workers are still laboring around the clock to restore power across the region. People everywhere are trying to get their property cleaned up, like this couple in Maine. And it was, you know, probably the water was up to like your thighs about halfway up your thighs and it's just slowly rising further than that. We, we had a flood here in May and it was about there, it was at your thigh. But this is, uh, this is way worse, way worse than that. 
In Waterville, Maine, about a dozen cars could be seen floating at a flooded parking lot at the Hathaway Creative Center, surrounded by debris, logs, planks, and vegetation, as observers looked on from higher ground. Cars were swept away by flooding in many states. Until flooding subsides, many cleanup efforts remain stalled. We, we're kind of in a holding pattern, so we can't really do anything until the water recedes, and I don't think that that's supposed to happen for another day, maybe. So, probably not until after the holidays. Lion crews and tree removal crews will continue their efforts to put things back in order. There is also infrastructure damage and washed out roads in need of repair. So let's change topic here as we approach the end of the show. For the first time in history, human beings have successfully sent a video signal through the galaxy using a high-powered laser beam. A signal millions of miles through the cosmos to deliver a long-awaited look at a cat. You heard that right, a cat named Taters. Stars in a video transmitted from deep space using a laser. The video features the cat playing with a laser pointer on a couch. It's all part of NASA's deep space optical communications experiment. NASA says the system could transmit data, images, and videos during space exploration. The laser can send data 100 times the speed of traditional radio wave systems. The transmission took 100 seconds to cover a distance 80 times greater than that between Earth and the Moon. And Lapland is an area in Finland known for its snowy beauty, pine trees, northern lights, and being the home of Santa. Let's take a look at some of the reasons it's becoming a popular Christmas tourist destination. Lapland is a region of Finland near the Arctic Circle. It's as big as some countries like Hungary or South Korea and largely unpopulated. Lapland is becoming an increasingly popular Christmas travel destination. This year, Christmas tourism is on track to break an all-time record. December has been very, very busy here in Rovaniemi Airport last 20 years. So, but uh, this year, I think so that we are making also the new records for the passenger amount. And that will be, December is our busiest month of the year. The Lapland Christmas experience is fun for single travelers or those who enjoy group tours. There is a huge increase in our flight routes compared to previous years, so it's over 100%, meaning that we have about 24 direct flight connections so far. It's going to bring, of course, a big amount of uh, independent travelers and also the ones that take in part in the group tours. There are many reasons to visit Rovaniemi, for one, it's said to be the home of Santa Claus himself. Just before Christmas, we have lots of people coming, coming from all over the world. Lots of lovely people, and I want to meet them all. And it's quite busy. But I don't, I'm not busy with the, with the gifts, because the elves are doing that job. What are some other reasons travelers come from around the world to experience this winter wonderland? We don't have snow in our country. Just beach and hot, so it's a great experience for her. You can also find luxurious suites with glass walls letting you take in the scenery from your comfortable room. How about taking a magical sleigh ride pulled by a reindeer in fresh snow? Tourists also hope for the chance of seeing the spectacular northern lights. 
More visitors every year are coming to enjoy the magic of Lapland, Santa, and the snowy peace and quiet of this special place. Exciting. And the Northern Lights are supposed to be the best since 20 years. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. All right. Keep that in mind as we end our show, but we'll keep you updated with the latest information. So stay tuned for our News Today broadcast at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.